Hello, world, and thanks for listening in to episode 13 of the Everything and Nothing podcast. I am your host, Christy Brownlow, and I'm joined today by a member of my tribe to discuss a crucial topic police violence in American communities of color. Jamar Johnson, what it is, yo? What it is, what it is, what it is, KB, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. So uh, you know that we're always, you and I are always talking about the state of affairs in our community, in the world. And I think it's safe to say things are effed up right about now. Yeah, that's safe. That's about the only thing that's safe. Yeah, yes. It's about the only thing to say. This is true. So when I first started thinking about this topic, this breaking news topic, it was before the trial had ended, before the verdict. And so now that the verdict has come in, I guess, first of all, what are your impressions, your overall thoughts? You know, I mean, it's, it's great that justice was served for sure. But, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like, I mean, it's happened so many times and we get one win. And again, it's a great win. And, and you know, love to the Floyd family and, and all the supporters. Definitely. Um, you know, but it's still it's still exhausting. Right. It's still there's a, still a lot of exhaustion. Here. So although there is that blip of, of, of excitement that we might be able to start moving forward, you know, I think all of the other time still has that overtone of, you know, uh, and, and it prevents me from getting overly excited. Um, mm-hmm. But again, for the family, for, you know, everybody that's followed this movement and fought and, and protested, you know, mad love. And, and, it, and it's great. Uh, but there's still there's still a lot of work to be done. A lot of work to do. Well, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about throughout the trial was how many police officers, including the police chief, who had come to denounce Chauvin's actions and basically saying he's not one of us, even though he was at one time. And I can't remember a time when that's happened before. Right. Because that blue wall is uh, strong. And yeah. so to see it crumbling was deep for me. But I wonder if this case is a one off. Yeah. Or if because of the movement that you mentioned, because this has become a global deal if it's a new day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and how I look at that is, um, you know, I think with all the footage, <laughs> right. That was there. And, um, you know, and, and from so many different angles and, you know, just all the clips that came out over time, mm-hmm. I think it was undeniable. Right. And, and I think at this point, you know, they all came, came forward and denounced, and I think they just they, they, they there was no way they could not. And I think part of that, too, was just the arrogance of what he did. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that arrogance of what he did and how it just I mean, his expression, just just everything. I think that that made it to where even if they didn't feel that way, just out of them being law enforcement, they had to denounce because, I mean, just the way it was done, I mean, it was just sheer arrogance and just disregard no no regard yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah no regard for for human life you know 
Well, do you remember? And I was also thinking about the this generation, how they will always remember where they were when the verdict came in for the Derek Chauvin trial. Just like we remember, I remember where I was for OJ. I remember where I was for Rodney King. You know, I'm telling my yeah. age, but um, and that was life changing for me. The whole Rodney King situation was life changing for me. And that's me as a black person. But I always try to put myself in the shoes of a black man, which, of course, Mm -hmm. I can't do. I can empathize. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, because when these situations happen over and over and over and over again, yes, we get one win, but it doesn't negate the history and it doesn't negate, negate everything we've gone through. I was watching Philonis Floyd, uh, George Floyd's brother, talk yesterday. And the first person he channeled was Emmett Till. Yeah. And I was just thinking, (laughs) as a black man, how do you feel when these things happen over and over? Exhaustion. Yes, I think we're all exhausted. But what is your overarching feeling? Is it anger? Is it what is it? Yeah, I think, you know what, honestly, man, I think, um, I mean, I, I can run the, the myriad of emotions on it, right? You know, and, and it's gotten to the point where, you know, I, I don't think anger is enough, right? It moves past that to almost, sadly, despair, right? Mm. So you, you, you get mad, you get angry, but it's like, okay, what, what, what happens there, right? How do you channel that? So it almost gets to a point, of, again, of despair where you're like, wow, you know, and you, and you know it, right? And I think one of the, the biggest pieces is just as a black man, you learn to kind of coexist, right? So you, you learn to coexist, right? Like you have these things happening all the time, but you still have to figure out a way to stand up tall and, and play the game and, and you code know, switch. If, yeah, code switch. If you, if you work within, you know, a corporate structure, you have to continue to, to navigate those waters and, and channel. And then, you know, I think one of the biggest things that um, <laughs> I wasn't surprised, but when the George Floyd uh, scenario first hit, just from my company perspective, I mean, not even my immediate boss asked me about it. And then his boss, like there was no, nothing ever addressed at all. And again, I didn't necessarily expect it. Right. But maybe I did. Maybe I did. Maybe maybe, maybe I, in I, a way you did. Yeah. In, in a way I did, you know, considering the small percentage of minorities that are on these teams, you know, it's like, man, you know, just as a leader, just as leaders, right. You would kind of want to have some empathy and just kind of see how your, your people are doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we're not the majority, but you still want to see how your folks are doing. Still, It's impacting you. It's impacting. Right. But never had that conversation. Right. So again, what you learn to do is just kind of coexist and realize that, Hey, I, I got to do what I need to do to make sure I'm okay. And my, my, my people are okay. Right. Cause I'm not going to get it from the outside. If I do, I mean, that's a bonus, right? If I get that support, it's a bonus, but I've just learned not to even expect it. Right. It's a constant just, state of a wall building and, a, and coping mechanisms. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'll tell you um, it, with the trial, I couldn't stomach to watch the trial the entire time. So realistically, I watched probably the first three, the five minutes, well, let's say 10, first 10 minutes. And it wasn't consistent, right? It was the first 10 minutes of the trial, mm-hmm. right? Uh, when it started. 
And then I watched the verdict yesterday. And again, you know, you see it on the, the, the screen as you walk by, but I'm like, man, I just can't, can't stomach. I can't do it. Right. Uh, so, and again, cause again, we've seen it <laughs> this so many times, out, so many times. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm like, just emotionally I'm tired. Right. Like I can't, I can't put myself through that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I kept checks. Again, I know when the verdict was going to be read. So I did watch that, but I'm like, just to keep my sanity uh, and to keep moving, I can't, I can't engulf myself with that, you know? Yeah, no, I get that. And, and, and like you said at the top, we've seen this movie so many times, even when you have overwhelming evidence, even when you have yeah. a videotape, multiple videotapes, it doesn't really matter because historically, justice doesn't come for us. And so I was like you halfway watching the trial one, because I couldn't stomach to see that video. I mean, once was once too much. Yeah. Yeah. But then to see them as they always do assassinate the character of the deceased person, I was like, I can't do this. (laughs) And then I didn't want to get too invested because I didn't want to allow myself to hope that yeah to get that build up yes yes the ball drops, get let right? down yet again right mm-hmm. right so it's all of these emotions that we as a people constantly deal with and have to check ourselves and try to make sure we're okay and then try not to have too much hope but we want to be cautiously optimistic and it's just all of these things so when it came when the verdict came yesterday i just broke down, but I think it was out of sheer exhaustion, <laughs> out of sheer exhaustion. And, and then a few seconds later, it was like, okay, now what? Yeah. And I tell you, how far from going down, you, you know, you kind of hold your breath. You feel that, that, that angst when, <laughs> when the decision is about to get read. And then as you hear, you hear the judge read out the charges, you're like, wow. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. You breathe a little bit more. You breathe a little bit more, but at that moment, you just kind of hold your breath. Like, all right, what, what, what's going to happen now? Right. Hold your breath. And then you can finally, you know, exhale a little bit, a little bit. You know, it's not a full, full on exhale, but it, there is, you know, some progression. To that, some progression. That. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we want to get to a state of major progression, but we are so not there yet. Yeah. Well, you know, and just and, and to touch on it, what, what you said, um, just to have them tear down the character of, uh, you know, George Floyd. Again, I, I just couldn't go through hearing all of that, right? He wasn't a Boy Scout, you know, <laughs> at this stage in his life. But, you know, nobody's perfect. You know, I mean, he he had a... Doesn't deserve what he got. Uh, yeah, a checkered background. But the way he, he died, nobody deserved that. Nobody deserves you know? that. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue, talking about the feelings that we get. And when you're in a situation where you see police mm-hmm. <laughs> or you're driving or you're, you're an athlete. So when you're out there doing your thing and you see the police, even though you live in a good community, even though you're an upstanding citizen, you're the mayor of the Metroplex, as I like to call you, <laughs> even though you've got all the boxes checked, you as a black man are still probably like, OMG, let me go ahead yeah. and get all my ducks in a row mentally. Yeah, so what absolutely. goes through your head when that potential routine traffic stop happens or when you even see an officer? You know, that's a great question. And, and it's funny. I have one of my Caucasian brothers asking the same thing on Sunday. 
Mm-hmm. And we've been friends for about five or six years. We, we worked together in the past. And he's one of these gentlemen where he's he tries to really understand. Right. He's like, Man, I got a real question for you. And he, you know, he's just been as real as he could. He's like, Man, how do you feel about if you get stopped or if if any of that happens with the cops? I'm like, well, you know what, honestly, and I, I never thought about it in these in this context. But I'm like. And it was interesting saying it to him because he's a military. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. But I was like, you know, it's like PTSD. <laughs> mm, um, I know he got that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like, you know, just over the years. And, and I think for me, I, I've never had anything overly outrageous happen, but I've had, I've been stopped just for random, random things. reasons, mm-hmm. you know, especially as a, as a young black man in St. Louis, I would get stopped just for, oh, you, you didn't use your blinker or what, whatever the case may be. But the neighborhoods that I might've been in, you know, were, you know, weren't as diverse. So I think that was just a, a stop to, to check me out, right. To see what I was doing in that neighborhood. Cause a lot of them didn't result in tickets. It was just, okay, just wanted to check, you know, okay. check you out and see what was going on. But I think over those years, even though it hasn't happened directly to me, you hear all these stories, you could subconsciously build that, that PTSD. You internalize it. You internalize it. Right. Because you're like, wow, what happens, right? What happens if I get stopped? And I'll tell you, it, it's kind of one of those things too. Like when I'm driving, even like over the road or, you know, taking a trip, I always really try to make sure I drive the speed limit. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my mm-hmm. wife and I always kind of joke about that because she'll, she'll speed a little bit, but I always try to stay within mm-hmm. those guidelines. Those so, parameters. So, yep. Yeah. Not to give them a reason to pull me over. Right. And this is one of those things where, you know, you, you have to check all these different these different boxes, man, to make sure that everything is good. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't give them a reason. Don't give them a reason. Have you ever experienced an officer when you're out running or anything like that? No, I haven't. Um, but, you know, that's I tell you, and it's one of those things when I'm out running, of course, I'll see cops pass by me. So I wave, you know, some of them wave, some of them, some of them don't. Right. Mm-hmm. But that, I mean, that's who I am anyway. I try mm-hmm. to connect with folks. Right. Because I, I know there's a human element to all of this in most cases. Right. So in I, most cases. You know, so I, I think subconsciously it may be one of those where, you know, the wave is an extra nod to, you know, look, I'm non-threatening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm running through the neighborhood. I'm sure you've seen, you know, multiple times through the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I'm waving at you. So, you know, if you get a random call that there's a, a black man running through the neighborhood, you know, you don't automatically assume. Right. That it's a criminal. Right. But, you know, it, and that still could still could happen it still could Uh, go it still could go either way yeah it still can go either way right and and i think what's happened with the with the police they've become more defensive right because they don't know what's coming on the other end right and the anger that's um that could be projected towards them so i think they're on guard on -hmm. extra guard with the environment that we've been in so again i just try to keep a positive you know give them a nod on my way through and um you know, not again, just not give them a reason. Right? Did but you see the did you see the uh, case that was happening during the trial with uh, Lieutenant Nazario in Virginia, the army lieutenant? Oh, I did. I did see that. I did mm-hmm. see that. Yes. And I, I was just thinking, you know, he was so non-threatening with his military uniform on and basically, you know, everything they asked him to do, he complied. 
And he was like, what's going on? What's going on here? And the next thing you know, they're macing him. Yeah. And it just goes back to that. Like you said, you know, when you're running, the police come, you, hey, just so you know, I'm here. I'm good. It's the same thing like when you're driving. You can sit there motionless. You can look straight ahead. You can take the bass out of your voice. You can... (laughs) You can comply fully with whatever request they have and you still can't guarantee that you're going to leave that moment alive. And it's just, it's exasperating just to imagine all of the mental gymnastics you have to do. Yeah. Well, and then it, and then it translates too, you know, cause I, I have younger kids. Right. So, and I have a, I have a son. So, it's, right. you know, so you think about that as he grows. Right. And then, I think the biggest piece is how do you shape their perceptions or how do they develop their perceptions of a cop? Right. Cause they don't have any negative uh, impressions right now. Right. And but I'm sure you... they learned that you're supposed to respect officers and that they're there for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think that's the, the biggest piece is how do you, <laughs> how do we make that true as a community? Right. How does that remain true? So as the officers understanding that, not everybody hates them, right? Like nobody, not everybody, you know, believes they're all bad, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I think that that defense mechanism for them is so strong right now that they're just automatically on defense. You know, if they see a person of color, they're like, man, they hate us. You know, mm-hmm. we've done so much wrong. Even though it wasn't me directly, they hate us as, you know, th- these people hate us as a, you know, a- as a whole, right? Right. Right. Uh, and again, I, I haven't had that conversation, but it just feels that way. Well, I was listening to Trevor Noah the other day and he made a comment about bad apples. He was like, yeah. I'm just trying to understand where are the good apples? And he said, it's, I'm not saying that there aren't good police officers out there because there are definitely. He said, what I'm saying is there's so many bad apples, but they're not alone. Like in the case of George Floyd, he wasn't alone. There were three other officers there. So where is the good apple in that scenario to say, stop, stop, get off of him. What you're doing is wrong. It's too much. Where are they? (laughs) What, What is going on that there's so much protection of an officer in a situation that's clearly jacked up? that they rather put their life on the line and risk something like what has just occurred than to speak up. Yeah. I think it's maybe that unspoken code, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I think you mentioned it earlier, it's that officer code. That blue wall, that, yeah. That, yeah, that blue wall that they just don't, you know, they don't want to step outside the lines. And then it might've been the, the position, of, you know, in certain cases, because I think, Chauvin was a, uh, he's a training officer, right? Mm-hmm. So some of those other officers were younger on the force. So maybe they, you know, didn't want to overstep, overstep, you know, that chain of command. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm not saying that's the case in, in, in all scenarios, but, you know, but maybe it's just that overall blue wall code, that blue wall. The blue wall. Well, I guess the last word, what do you think needs to be done to reform or to eradicate these structural problems? Oh, man. <laughs> it's like, where do you begin? Where do right? you begin? So many. Where do you begin? I have I my thoughts, just... but I, 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 want, I was just wondering what you think. Yeah, it's like, where do you begin? Uh, I mean, it's such a, a, a systematic 
you know, and, and years and years and years built of, you know, of this, um, of this system. I know they've said that, uh, you know, they, they, they're doing some more psychological tests and some sensitivity training and all that. But I think it really starts with the hearts of these men that are and men and women that, that are becoming officers. Right. So I don't know if all the structural changes and the technical things and the trainings that they do, I don't know if that'll, you know, make that big of a difference in a, in the short order. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's the effort is, is good. But I really think, man, just, I, you know, honestly, man, if I knew this, this answer, I, I'd be a, you know, I wouldn't be doing this. I would be doing this talking to you, but I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing in life. Right. right? No, I see. I, uh, I know what you're saying. Because again, I, I think that, that the level of, of prejudice and, and hate that's been created so much over time. And I think it just spills over and it, and it is not just police officer. I mean, it spills over into every endeavor that we encounter. I was thinking it's, it's about the humanity because you can do all the sensitivity training in the world, but if somebody's got a jacked up heart or feels a certain way about a race of people, then it's not going to do any good. I mean, that's just another box you're checking off. So, (laughs) so I feel like humanity, which is what was lacking in the George Floyd case is where people need to start and build up to that sensitivity training. But yeah, yeah, the disregard for human life is just ridiculous. And that's, that's where Black Lives Matter came from (laughs) because it's a disregard. It's a devaluation of Black lives. So yeah, it starts well before they get on the force or even in that training. I, I mean, I think, you know, it starts in the household when, when, individuals are, are children and how they're reared because it starts there and it, mm-hmm. and it just grows from that point and the different points of exposure that they get. Because I think as you know, with, with children, their hearts are pure until the, until it, until it's tainted. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't start off hating anybody. <laughs> right. Uh, that's, that's put into to their spirit and into their, their way of doing things. I think it's, I think it starts there. I think it's just the simple, although it's huge, just the, the humanity of, of the humanity training. Maybe we should start doing some humanity, humanity training. Humanity training. You know? I, you're on to something, Jamar. You're <laughs> As usual. Outward in. Outward in. Outward in. <laughs> Outward in. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> so uh, at what point... Because children are pure, at what point, especially with your little boy, do you have the talk with him about how to conduct yourself? You know, um, and that, I mean, that's huge for me because, again, I, you, yeah, I want the kids to have an opportunity to be kids and to be innocent and to, and to um, you know, just enjoy without all of that extra stress, right? But I think... <laughs> Honestly, they start to experience it as soon as they go outside of the household. So, you know, three, four, five, you start having certain conversations, but you kind of have to layer it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think maybe by honestly, eight, nine, you start having a little bit more uh, direct conversations Mm -hmm. Um, because, again, it's sad. But 
you know, our, our little boys are looked at as a threat at a lot younger of an age than other, other folks. So mm-hmm. I think, again, you don't want to take that innocent and that the fun of being a child away. But again, I think around seven, eight, nine, you really start having some of those more serious conversations because sadly, I think the perception starts to change. And this is something that I learned years ago, like kind of at the beginning of our friendship through Big Brothers, Big Sisters, how they start building prisons based on third grade mm-hmm. test scores. Test score, and that's yeah. always stuck with me. That always is, has stuck with me. And what third grade is about eight or nine, right? right. right. So at about at that age, they start to kind of decide for you what direction that this is where you're going it. this is where you're going so i think that's about the same time you start you need to start having those those real conversations um on, on what to expect how to how to conduct yourself you know if, if you're in, if you encounter you know police officers and that type of thing and it's sad that it has to be that early but you know i, I don't think i i had those talks at eight or nine but the world has evolved oh yeah I think that it needs to happen at that. At They're that advanced. Juncture. They're advanced. Yeah. So, well, until we develop our humanity training. Yes. This conversation is something that you will need to have with him. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? And, and, and even with my dogs, I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't think they're as much of a threat. I say that, but, but, but yeah, those conversations need to be had for sure. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you sharing your experiences and and being so transparent as always. Having your insights is very important to me. So I appreciate you, brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks for thinking of me with this conversation. Of course. Well, that does it for episode 13. Thank you for listening in for the latest updates on the podcast. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at underscore everything, nothing podcast. I'll see you next time. Peace and blessings.